What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net. Hey everybody, welcome to our latest episode of the Empire State Conservative Network podcast. My name is Pete, and on today's show, I'll be discussing how President Trump's approval ratings continue to climb in both the United States and in Venezuela. We'll also be talking about how Bill de Blasio's wife has lost close to $900 million in taxpayer funds towards a mental health initiative, and how retired NFL player Ben Watson denounces New York's Reproductive Health Act. But before we get into any of that, first off, if you're new to the show, welcome. The Empire State Conservative Network podcast is for New York-based conservatives who are sick and tired of being neglected by their local and state politicians. You're also sick and tired of being ostracized by friends, family, and co-workers for thinking differently than they do in politics and in life in general, because let's face it, you're right they're wrong. Whether they know it or they subconsciously know it, they are jealous. Now, let's get into the fun of the day. So to start off, according to USA Today, President Donald Trump's job approval numbers continue to climb according to the real clear politics average of polls. After an NBC News slash Wall Street Journal poll published Sunday put Trump's approval rating at 46 percent among registered voters, his RCP average rose to 44.4%, his highest mark since October 2018, following the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. That was a much-needed moment for our country. We talked about that in the first few episodes that we ever did of this podcast leading up to the 2018 midterms. Anyway, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll found that 41% of registered voters plan to vote for Trump, while 48% said they plan to vote for whoever ends up becoming the Democratic candidate. By contrast, at about this point in former President Barack Obama's presidency, 45% of voters said they plan to vote for Obama, while 40% preferred a generic Republican candidate. And Trump's disapproval rating remained high at 52%, although that was an improvement from the 54% the poll found in January and December when the government shutdown happened. Now, when, when asked if it is more important that the 2020 Democratic nominee is able to defeat Trump than reflect their personal views on the issues, 40% of voters who plan to cast ballots in the Democratic primary said beating Trump is more important. 56%, on the other hand, said the candidates' vote, uh, policy positions are more important. So let's break this down before we get into Venezuela. So overall, I think President Trump has had a pretty good run lately, South Korea, or North Korea, excuse me, notwithstanding, in terms of what he said about Otto Wambier and, uh, you know, saying relatively positive things about one of the worst dictators the world has ever known in Kim Jong-il. Now, that being said... He's done a good job since the 2018 midterms, and I'm not sure if someone got in his ear in his administration, someone he trusts, but he's really taken a step back off of Twitter. That's not to say he hasn't tweeted anything out. That's not to say he's still not active on social media, but he's really taken a step back, and he mentioned this in his CPAC conference that he did just a few short days ago, in that he has no problem letting the Democrats shoot themselves in the foot. That includes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That includes any of the Democratic presidential nominees to this point shooting themselves in the foot. Kamala Harris, we talked about that at Nauseam yesterday. Cory Booker and Spartacus. Elizabeth Warren, yeah, it's almost not even worth talking about her anymore. Like, he's letting them hurt themselves. When Trump stays out of the limelight and he just 
does good things. He gives speeches that he's supposed to give. He goes on foreign affairs trips that he's supposed to go on. And if he stays off social media and doesn't post anything crazy, like it was 2 to 3 a.m., I'm on the toilet, so I'm going to tweet out a bunch of crap, um, the tirades that happened through the first couple of years of presidency, people tend to like the job he's doing because he's not necessarily in the news. The Mueller investigation has been shown to be a scam and a big sham over the past couple of years. There's almost 99.9% accuracy from left and right-leaning news sources that there's nothing in there. And now, unfortunately, they're going to try and make this a bigger thing and waste more taxpayer resources and funds by trying to find anything negative about him. And the reason they're trying to do that is because, thus far, the Democratic presidential nominees are awful. All of them are terrible. Bernie Sanders was a shot in the pan in 2016. He's got no shot now. Dude is pushing 80. Nobody wants somebody who's going to croak in office, whether you like what he has to say or not. Elizabeth Warren, I alluded to, is a joke. Cory Booker is a grandstander and a joke. Kamala Harris is a liar. She's already been caught with that. She's a joke. Kirsten Gillibrand, the only person who's taken more positions on things than Nancy Pelosi, and that's because she has only outlived her by 200 years. So you got a lot of people in Democratic presidential um, race who have entered thus far, who are terrible candidates. And people are pushing Joe Biden to run because he might be the only person who has any legitimate shot at Trump. And even looking at this poll, when, which is obviously very left-leaning, I mean, I know the Wall Street Journal is more moderate with a right lean, but NBC News is very left-leaning. And they were asking Democratic primary voters, meaning that these were registered Democrats who were asked these questions specific to the Democratic primary. And while, yes, it isn't nice that 40%, there was the same number, by the way, that was going to vote against Obama, regardless of whoever was going to run at this point in Obama's tenure during his second term. But uh, this is, this is, it's good to see that 56% are actually going to wait and see who gets the nomination, and then they're going to make their decision based on whose policies most closely align with my personal beliefs. And that is something, and Evan and I talked about on yesterday's show, that really needs to happen. We need to stop thinking of D or R in front of the name. Now, obviously, you know, as a rule, if you're a conservative, the D is usually not a good thing. It stands for Democrat or Dick, neither of which is a good thing. With that said, there are a lot of empty suits on the Republican side. Just because there's an R next to their name doesn't make them the best candidate in a particular race. So it's important that you know the facts. Like Justin says, do your research, learn the issues, learn the policies and the backstories of these candidates and make the best decisions for your district, for your state, and ultimately for the country. That is how you should vote with as little bias as possible. Obviously, we're humans. There's always going to be an element of bias in everything we say and do. But the more you can take the bias out and the more you can instill facts in its place, you're going to be much better off as a society. So that was a positive that wasn't even really mentioned more than in a sentence in this article reviewing the poll. So I'm glad that even some of the Democrats are waking up and they're going to wait and see who they're going to vote for by seeing what the Democratic nominee has to say versus what Trump has to say. And with Trump's approval ratings climbing, I think it's fair to say that more and more people, A, are not trusting the mainstream media because they know for the most part it's left-leaning and incredibly biased. And then B, they're coming to their own conclusions. They are doing their own research. They're reading news from multiple sources, from the left, the right, and ones that are closer to the center. And they're able to sift through, find the facts, see what the talking points are on both sides, 
and see what resonates with them the most by making their own decisions on that particular issue. I, that's a good thing to see, actually, and that was another positive I took out of that as well. Now, getting to Trump's approval ratings going up in Venezuela, polls show that the U.S. government's toughening stance against Venezuela's authoritarian regime in recent weeks has catapulted Mr. Trump up the popularity rankings in the crisis-stricken South American country. His favorable numbers are especially noteworthy in a region that has long been wary of American intrusion. Protesters wearing Trump masks, that's, that's hilarious, have recently become fixtures of mass rallies in Venezuela, and demonstrators line up to take selfies with a popular protester who goes to such events disguised as the U.S. president. Um, this quote that I'm going to read you is by Carolina Bravo, a 33-year-old accountant. She said, and I quote, Everyone criticizes Trump, but he's really the only one doing something for Venezuela. Concrete actions. If Obama or maybe Clinton were in the U.S. government, they'd be looking for talks that only give breathing room to Maduro's tyranny. They never dared confront the dictatorship. Favorable opinions of Mr. Trump in Venezuela rose to 52% in early February, compared with 43% in August 2017, according to Moore Consulting, a Caracas-based consulting and polling firm. Mr. Trump is seen as a facilitator of change in Venezuela, said Luis Vidal, director of Moore Consulting. Mr. Tr uh, local poster Consultores 21 gave Mr. Trump a positive rating of 48% in a separate survey, making him one of the five most popular politicians in the country. Opposition leader Juan Guaido led with 67%, while Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro trailed in sixth place with a positive rating of just 24%. The U.S. was the first of more than 50 nations to recognize Mr. Guaido as interim president in late January, based on his role as head of the National Assembly and the widespread view that Mr. Maduro's re-election last year was a sham. The Trump administration then levied sanctions on Venezuela's lifeblood oil industry and frequently issued sharp verbal volleys against the regime. Now, there are folks who are more libertarian who see this, even though, yes, I agree, Maduro has been terrible for the country. He inherited Hugo Chavez's socialist regime, made it bad. People are eating their own pets. They're lining up for food and stuff. They're not getting it. And if they are getting it, they're not getting nearly enough. All socialist countries. And again, look, look at our website, empirestickconservativenetwork.com forward slash blog. Check out Jeff Moore's series on socialism, how it rose up, who started it, uh, and the history. He just wrote a piece yesterday on how it kind of rose through the late 1800s to the, 20, the early 20th century. And it compared the American Civil War with some of the things that went on during the Communist Revolution in Eastern Europe. And he dissected the differences and the positive outcome that happened in America versus what happened in Eastern Europe. And obviously that led to the rise of Vladimir Lenin, Joseph Stalin, the Soviet Union, and obviously hundreds of millions of people dead, which isn't good. But check out that series again. You can check that out on our website, EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com forward slash blog. But all socialist regimes end in tyranny. It's, that's all it ends up being. They say they're for the people. They say everyone is going to be equal under the government's eyes. But that's the problem. It's under the government's eyes. Anyone in a high-ranking position in the government will lead, will lead a life of prosperity and of wealth while everyone else is lining up. And when the money runs dry and they can't get the necessary food, medicine, and supplies to the people, they all start to starve. There starts to be political unrest. And that's what we're seeing there. A lot of libertarians and people on that front believe that we should not denounce Maduro and that we should have an isolationist policy. It's not our problem. Leave him alone. There's also speculation on the libertarian front that we are going in there. The, this article from the Wall Street Journal just mentioned the oil reserves and that that's why we're going there. And it's completely possible. 
because a lot of the wars that America has started, whether you like it or not, whether you're a hawk or you're not, have been started for more reasons than just vengeance, for more reasons than to eradicate the world of terror. It's often to find more ways to make money and to take control of a region's resources, to institute our power all over the world. The movie, I mentioned it a lot, and it's true, Team America World Police really personifies this in a hilarious way, and it was made by the creators of South Park, so you know it's actually very funny. But that said, regardless, this is a regime that has done unruly evil in the world. You should never have to think about eating your pet. You get a dog or a cat or a bird or a rabbit or whatever you want not to eat it, but because you want a pet. You're going to take care of the thing. You're going to bond with it. It's there to be essentially a friend of yours. If not, some people treat it like your children, uh, whatever the case may be. The last thing you ever want to think about with your pets is eating them. You want love and affection from them, and you want to take care of them. It's almost like a hero complex that we have as human beings. That's the result. And instead, people have to resort to eating them because otherwise they're going to starve to death. It's a terrible regime. It's a terrible situation that's happened there from a country that, as Mr. Trump pointed out, in the State of the Union, was just 15 years ago the most affluent nation in South America because of its oil reserves. But socialism never works. And in a way... I'm glad that we are entering. I am glad that we are offering humanitarian aid. And that's one of the reasons, too. I can't really always side with a libertarian position. The other issue with the libertarians, I mean, I know there's disagreements even within the major parties of Democrats right now between like the far-left socialist sect and the more moderate Democrats. And then on our side, you got more constitutional conservatives and then you got more big government Republicans and then you have libertarians. There's, there's a very far-reaching number of political ideologies on our side. And I've yet to really pick one. I'd say I'm more of a constitutional conservative than anything. But in any event, I don't think it's a bad thing when you get involved, when, you know, if you can help a nation, you know, they they had a runoff election. This wasn't our idea. They selected somebody who allegedly won in Guayado, and Maduro refuses to step down because he doesn't like the legitimacy of this election. Meanwhile, 75% of Venezuelans polled said that they wanted governmental change. Now, some people could say, well, how did you get access to that poll? Was it skewed or not? Were these people that were taking it notoriously anti-Maduro? Regardless of the fact, there's no doubt that Venezuela is suffering, that it needs change, and it's a good thing that we're helping out down there. And yes, if we get help, access to their oil reserves, on the other hand, which we probably will get some share. You know, we produce more than enough on our own here in North America, which is good. You don't want to be completely dependent on Saudi Arabia and the Middle East like we had been in the past not too long ago. But at the same time, I think it could be a win-win. And if we can help an oppressed people in the process, then I don't see what the issue is. But in any event, let's get back. So, blah, 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 blah. So, the U.S. was the first in more than 50 nations to recognize Mr. Guayado as interim president. I've already said that. Mr. Trump said recently that if the Venezuelan army continues to back Maduro, quote, you will find no safe harbor, no easy exit, and no way out. You will lose everything. Such language plays well among the roughly three-quarters of Venezuelans who I just talked about who tell postals they want a change in government. Um, who said this? 43-year-old Venezuelan artist and colleague who just joined the recent protests against Mr. Maduro, who dressed as Minnie Mouse, said that, I can't say that President Trump fascinates me, but I'm grateful to him for doing something. Even if nothing is achieved, I would still be grateful to Mr. Trump because at least he had the intention. 
But there are exceptions beyond Venezuela too, often driven by foreign policy issues, while we're hated just about everywhere else in the world. Go figure. Another example is Israel. Mr. President Trump, Evan says this all the time, and it's true, is probably the most pro-Israel president we've ever had. Um, confidence there in, the, in Trump rose to 69% for Trump in 2018 as compared to 49% under Barack Obama in 2015. So obviously on the world stage, there's this globalist takeover, right? You got Angela Merkel, Theresa May, a lot of people in, in Europe, the, the EU, you know, goes for saying, you got countries in Europe like Greece and Spain that really have struggled economically. Greece actually had a complete um, fallout not too long ago. And it's due to these open border policies, it's due to letting everybody in, it's due to leftist policies, redistribution of wealth, socialistic welfare programs, they never work. Even when you look at the Nordic countries, a lot of them had to revisit how they handled those wealth redistribution programs just so their government could stay solvent, and they still tax everybody across the board, 60% of their income, doesn't matter how little or how much you make, it's essentially a flat tax. Is that more fair? Some would argue yes, some would argue no. But at the same time, a lot of these countries that the leftists point to as those are more prosperous, those are better than where we live, not necessarily so. It's important we wake up and we start to see this. And it's important that we realize that we can help people in the world who want to get out of this type of tyranny. And by the way, Guayado, the interim president in Venezuela, he's actually pretty far left. I wouldn't say he's a socialist, but he's pretty far left. But the choices between that and, say, a Bernie Sanders-style takeover of government actually implementing what he wants, you got to go with someone who's further left than someone like that. This next segment is brought to you by Items for All Occasions. Items for All Occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your event's promotional needs. Whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforallocasions.com. Anyway, let's move on now to somehow Bill de Blasio's wife has lost $900 million towards a mental health initiative. So according to the Blaze, the city council in New York City discovered the shocking amount of potential waste during a meeting uh, last Wednesday. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's wife, Sherlane McRae, was given $900 million to start a mental health initiative called Thrive, focusing on helping the homeless in the city. Four years later, no one seems to know what that money was actually used for. The Thrive Program, which had its budget raised to $250 million per year in 2019, has produced some underwhelming numbers in terms of how many people it impacts. Bob, Bob McManus, excuse me, harshly assessed the program's effectiveness for the New York Post. He said, and I quote, So ipso presto, co-mayor Bill coughed up enough cash to break a pack mule's back and send it off to co-mayor Sherlane, who then went forth to cure Gotham's mental illness problems. Fast forward to Wednesday, when the city council was startled to discover that McRae and Team Thrive are closing in on having spent an eye-popping $900 million since the program's inception, and nobody seems to have a clue on what. That is, nobody appears to have kept receipts, the subways and street corners are still overrun with crazy people, and nobody in charge knows what's to happen next. This is what happens. Bill de Blasio, a self-proclaimed socialist, has also kind of called himself a communist, I believe, on one occasion or two. He's not a good guy. He wants total mayoral control of everything. I mentioned this a few weeks back. He had this really, really narcissistic press conference talking about how 
so many city kids are graduating now at higher rates than ever before or since he took office, and that C, mayoral control of education is a good thing. Meanwhile, the CUNY standards, City University of New York standards, that are utilized to test whether or not a student is capable of leaving high school and entering either the workforce or college, determine that 76% of those that graduated were not ready. Why? Because the standards lowered. So he keeps moving the bar for himself and then pats himself on the back when a crappier job done, when easier standards are met. Like it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. More and more people, young people than ever before, that's millennials and now Gen Zers, are leaving high school and they are not prepared to go on to that next step of life whatsoever, whether it's from an educational perspective or just from an understanding of how life works perspective. And it's not all on the schools, it's on parents, it's on our general society as a whole, but schooling has a lot to do with it. That's where kids are K through 12, from the ages of 5 to 18, for the vast majority of their lives during that period. So yes, parenting helps, you set up some things at home. When you're at school, 8 hours a day, 5 days a week, for, what is that, 13, 14 years? That's a long period of time right there. And we're not meeting any of these standards. Now, getting back to losing the money, again, this is what happens in socialist governments. They talk about investing massive amounts of money. That's what Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wants to do, right? The Green New Deal. She wants to invest all this money into clean energy, like hydro, air, water energy. Oh, I already said water and hydro. Hydro, air, and something else that I can't remember right now. Uh, wind, that's what it is. All BS, none of it is ready or able to be produced at massive scale. And that's all contingent on the weather. When you have energy resources that are contingent on weather, and there are different parts of the country that will not be good for any of those three, you have a problem. We do have options. I talked about this in one of my last solar shows, nuclear energy. We have natural gas. We have the largest repository of natural gas in the Marcellus Shell right here in New York State. But unfortunately, in 2014, King Cuomo banned hydrofracking. So we can't utilize the most plentiful, natural, clean resource we have available to us to heat the homes of people in New York State. And now pretty soon, Westchester County and other counties around the state, Con Edison, National Grid, and all the utility companies won't really be able to service the homes the way that they would like. People may have to start rationing how much heat they use, how much gas they use, because there may not be enough to go around. Even though, again, we have a clean, natural resource right here in the state that we cannot access because we cannot, we have to appease the crazy green eco people when in actuality, they don't know what they're talking about, including Cuomo, including de Blasio. And with this mental health initiative, they disguise, and this, talk, this happens all the time, they take our money, they claim that X amount of our taxpayer dollars are going to this. I mentioned a while ago how 1% of state fees collected are supposed to go towards our emergency system so that when you call 911, you are directed to the appropriate agency that can help you with your problem quickly, efficiently, so it can track you, so you get the best service possible, so that you're protected, and that if your home's on fire, perhaps the fire department can get there, they can save you, your family, your pets, your stuff, and save your home from being completely destroyed. Uh, if you're in a situation of violence, there's a shooting or something like that, an accident, the police will be able to arrive in a, in a relatively quick amount of time, because you're patched through to the appropriate channels, and they dispatch someone to you right away. This, all that money for 1% went missing. And that was at the state level. At the, at the local level, de Blasio is, dare I say, even more radical than Cuomo. This is the same thing that's going to happen. They're going to claim this is for mental health initiatives. No one can argue that mental health is important. 
Nobody, I mean, some can argue that it's not the government's responsibility, local, state, or federal, to handle that. I would tend to agree. But you say, okay, that's a nice initiative. And that's a huge budget. But if it does good, and a collective good, maybe, maybe you can see it. But you're not seeing it. The numbers I didn't mention in the articles, there are so many, and it would have bored the crap out of you. They were pretty minuscule. For the amount of people suffering from postpartum depression, they weren't even reaching 10% or 5% of them in some cases. It was really bad. And there's no receipts. Again, there's no paperwork whatsoever. There's no trail where you can track, okay, $900 million has been allocated to this Thrive Mental Health Initiative. Where's the money gone? Nobody knows. You know why nobody knows? Because they funneled it out. I'm sure they use it to line their own pockets. And that's what happens when you have corrupt politicians in office and not just corrupt but they again they play the victim card they make you want to feel like you're a victim they claim that equality is all that's important and that even though you're paying more in tax look at all the benefit you're getting you're getting nothing they're going to keep continuing to move the goalposts so they can charge you more and more money and they're going to keep lowering the standards of quality and of care and of service so that eventually almost everyone's going to wake up in this nightmare and be like Where's my money going? If you're taking all this money away from me, and I have no say over it, aside from voting in and out people every two to four years, or two to six years, um, what's going to happen here? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, and you shouldn't be surprised. You should not be surprised. New York City voted them in, so if you're a New York City resident and you have the ability to vote, you got to vote them out. The very next chance you get, you got to change things up, and unfortunately... With the city may be far too lost. The rest of the state maybe not so much, but New York City may be far gone. You know, the fact that this guy even got elected and that he's remained elected is a travesty. And you're going to see more stories like this pop up because they want more and more and more and more money. They're going to allocate more money towards their initiatives. Cuomo with his solar energy thing in Buffalo, New York. They're going to be foolhardy endeavors. They're not going to pan out. It's going to be wasted money or, in this case... And like in this case, you're never going to know where it goes. So let's finish up, guys, with former NFL player Ben Watson denouncing the Reproductive Health Act. So he spoke at CPAC over the weekend, and he blasted New York's recent decision to legalize abortion up to birth for any reason whatsoever. He said, and I quote, I watched in horror, as many of you did, as New York legislators cheered like they were at the Super Bowl. I use that analogy first, Ben Watson. (laughs) When the bill passed to allow the killing of babies up until birth. I watched that in horror. 60 million have been killed since Roe v. Wade. We always have to steer to the truth that life begins at conception. We need to be pro-whole-life people. Watson also stressed the importance of family. He said, and I quote, Family is a gift ordained by our creator. It should be cherished, not mocked. Upheld, not ridiculed. Held together, not torn apart. The strength of our families will ensure our future or it will condemn it. The retired NFL star also noted that the declining birth rate was contributing to Western decline. We are dying as a culture, he said, adding it will only improve, quote, when people understand the importance of family. I love that vision of arrows, he said. Children children are like weapons. Children are like weapons that we pull out and shoot into the culture. I have a very childish mind. I'm sorry. That's why I had to pause. Think about the effect that we have when we raise our children in the correct way. We instill values into them. They change culture. Many social ills would be eradicated if fathers, if men, would do what they are called on to do. 
Be what they are called to be. Even though it's not popular, speak to the culture about what we know is right. We don't get anywhere as believers, as families, as mothers and fathers, as conservatives, if we don't enter into the conversation. If we don't do what we're called to do, our families, our neighborhoods, our culture, our world will suffer. On that note, I don't know what else you can say. This guy summed it up. It's nice to see, hear all the negative attention in the NFL about Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the anthem. A lot of players joined him in that respect. And there were labor disputes about what, how that should be handled when the national anthem is sung before a game. But it's nice to see that there's a Colin Kaepernick out there. Well, that's not nice to see. But there's a Ben Watson out there. And he's pushing real conservative values into the public. And that's important. And it's important that a role model like him, a former NFL player, is able to do that. And on that note, guys, per his last point, that's why we founded Empire State Conservative Network. We are here not to make money, not to be a flash in the pan. We're here to make real change. Myself, Evan, Justin, we grew up in New York. We love New York. We don't want to leave New York. And unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to live here. It doesn't matter where you live. By the way, I know there are different areas of upstate and central New York that are completely demoralized. Industry that was once there moved out a long time ago. The cities and the locales have not kept up to code and up to date in terms of infrastructure, in terms of job creation. And a lot of people are suffering around the state. Higher taxes, whether it's income tax, property tax, other local and hidden taxes, they certainly don't help. And it's only gotten worse and it's going to get worse until we can vote again in 2020 as Andrew Cuomo got elected to a third term and the state Senate went blue. So we're fighting back. And that's why we started this podcast. That's why we started this group on Facebook. By the way, if you haven't joined, facebook.com forward slash Empire State Conservatives. Just like it and then you are a follower. We passed 10,000 last week. We're close to 11,000 right now. We're growing very rapidly, but it ain't cheap. Evan, Justin, and myself are paying to reach you out of our own pockets, and none of us are rolling in it. So this is more than a passion project to us. Again, this is a grassroots movement. We are going to be starting local chapters, one for every county in the state, coming at you soon, because as we found in making rounds with local GOP and Republican clubs, there's a lot of corruption going on at the city, at the local, and at the state levels. There's a lot of corruption going on everywhere in the state in the Republican Party. There are not too many Republicans or conservatives in office in this state that actually uphold our values. Maybe they say the right things, but like Steve, Day, Steve Dace excuse me, said on the show not too long ago, you got to decide when you get into politics early. Do you want to be somebody or do you want to do something? Because if you do something, you're probably not going to be somebody if that's what your goal is. And a lot of them are empty suits. They're rhinos. They're neocons. They're spineless. They'll say everything you want them to say. But when it comes time to act when they're elected, and it's time for them to propose legislation, to vote on legislation. They do nothing. That's not all of them, but many of them do nothing which is why we want to bring you the best candidates. They may not have an R next to their name, by the way. All of us endorse Larry Sharp for governor. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, that's such a sham. He got so few votes, it didn't matter that Mark Molinaro lost by over a million votes. He got 1% of the vote. So we didn't take anything from Mark Molinaro. Even if Molinaro got all the third-party votes, he still doesn't win. So, and it's because he was an establishment Republican. I'm sorry, he was. That's why a lot of people didn't vote for him. Or didn't vote, period. <laughs> Instead of vote, not voting third party, they didn't vote, period. 
So we got to get out there. We're going to bring the candidates through. We're going to start local chapters. Watch for that. Over late spring, early summer is when we're thinking that that's going to happen. But stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we're hoping to bring this show to you. So if you can, please share it with fellow like-minded FRC conservatives or maybe someone on the left who's sick and tired of their crazy policies. They don't like how far left they're going. They think they're going too far. They don't really have a voice. Let's try and bring them to the light. Share this with them. Send them the link to the video, to the podcast, whoever you're ingesting this, and let them know. And that way we can help them out. Also, if you can, if you can donate just $5 a month, it comes up to $60 over the course of the year. You get this, the Don't Let Fear Take Your Freedom wristband. You're also going to get mailbag access. Every Friday, Evan and I do a show. And if it's just us together, we'll send a mailbag, to, uh, a mailbag email to our donors. What would you like us to talk about today? You send in the topics and the questions. We'll cover on the show because you help us out. We help you out. If we have a special guest on, we'll send you about a day or so in advance who we're having on, a little bio about them, and you can submit questions to us so that, again, we can ask them and then you guide the conversation, that it's not all on us. We're doing this for you to keep you informed, to show you that there is hope in this state, even though it looks very bleak right now. Also, we're working on a platform where every day, Monday through Friday, we do a show, whether it's a solo show like mine, Evan and I do one together a couple of times, and we're going to talk, and we're going to post up stories that we may want to talk about, whether it's local, state, federal level, and you can upvote or downvote. The ones that are upvoted more, we will talk about. There'll also be a query box where you're going to be able to submit a query on a question or topic that we may not have listed that you want us to cover. And if you're a donor, we will get to it that week. We promise you that we are working on that infrastructure now. I'm hoping that by next week that will be up. So that's coming. So again, that's just $5 a month. You get all that good stuff. On top of that, if you're able to do just a one-time $50 for the year payment, so a one-time payment, not only do you get the wristband, not only the mailbag access, not only do you get access to our upvote, downvote platform on stories that we're going to cover day to day, but you're also going to get an Empire State Conservative Network hoodie. It's going to have our logo on the front, name and number on the back like a sports jersey, size is small to 5XL, so no matter how big or small you are, you'll be able to wear one proudly, in your size and it's just our way of saying thanks if you were to order these by the way the wristband and the hoodie on our website with shipping separately it would be $75 so you're saving $25 on that front instead of paying monthly if you pay for the year you save $10 on top of it so you're saving a good amount of money there and again we're not doing this to make money we're doing this to cover our costs and our ad spend one of the reasons we have grown so fast again is because we are advertising and we're paying for advertising but it's not cheap. So anything you can afford to do, we'd really appreciate. Guys, thanks so much for watching. My name is Pete. Have a great rest of the day, everyone. I'll come back at you tomorrow with another solo show. Have a good one. Hey, everyone. It's Evan from Empire State Conservative Network. Please check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on YouTube at Empire State Conservative Network, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, and on Twitter at Empire State Cons. Also, check out our store at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com store for all current and future merchandise to help melt the snowflakes in your life. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.